And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the word of God Almighty that engages us this evening. Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy New Year. Well, we're just a bit early. Uh, we are getting pretty close, and I bet some of you already have begun your own personal countdown to the new year. We are just a few hours away from that big ball dropping in Times Square, uh, from the ceremonial toast and kisses and the moment that, uh, that those of us who purchase those goofy plastic glasses made out of the year. I don't know how they're going to do 2014 this year. Uh, we'll realize that those glasses have suddenly become forever obsolete. And uh, so I'd like to thank you for leaving those glasses at home tonight. But uh, New Year's is a very exciting holiday for many people. Although I have to say that I've never personally been uh, all that excited about it. I, I don't know that I've ever understood all of the pomp and circumstance that attends it. I suppose that uh, we celebrate this holiday at least in part because of a certain optimism and, and hopefulness that exists inside of us about the future. After all, who knows what wonderful things might happen to us in the coming year. What professional goals we may be able to achieve or what personal resolutions we may be able to fulfill, at least for a little bit, right? Who knows what blessings God is just waiting to pour out on us in the new year. We all love new things, peeling the, the plastic off of your new iPhone or preparing uh, the, the house with, with all of your new furniture cutting the tags off those, those new clothes, uh, preparing the, the nursery for the new addition to the family. In much the same way, the new year is full of promise. It's almost like a Christmas gift just waiting to be unwrapped. It could be anything. And that, that childlike anticipation and that hopeful curiosity can be very exciting. I suppose tonight also gives us reason to rejoice because it affords us an opportunity not only to look forward, but also to look back. To reflect on all of the blessings that, that the Lord has given us and has, uh, has showered upon us in 2014. Of the love and the, the joys and the experiences that we've been able to share with those who are dear to us. This year, Facebook made this easier than ever, as, as many of you know, with their year in review feature which takes all of your most popular photos and, and posts and uh, life events from the past year and, and puts them all together in this interactive collage framed with confetti so that you can, you can look at that and reflect on your year and then share it with the world. And uh, many of my Facebook friends have done just that as a way to celebrate this past year. But for some, looking back on 2014 is an altogether unwelcome and painful proposition. One father gained national attention just a couple of days ago with a blog post that he wrote about how his Facebook year in review confronted him with a picture of his daughter 
who had just died this past year of brain cancer. He recognized that that for many people, looking back on this past year brings great joy and and anticipation for what's to come, great excitement, and, and he wants people to have that opportunity. But for those of us who have lived through the death of loved ones, he wrote, or spent extended time in the hospital, or were hit by divorce, or losing a job, or any one of a hundred different crises, We might not want another look at this past year. From a perspective like that, leaving 2014 in the past may be a welcome change. But I'd imagine it might also be accompanied with with a fear that there's not too much to look forward to in 2015. Hope is replaced by dread at the anniversaries that must be faced in the coming year. Optimism is squashed by apprehension over what new calamities might be waiting just around the corner. Whether 2014 brought tragedy into our lives or just wasn't everything we had been hoping for, we might not be much in the mood for celebration. We might be tempted instead to lament with King Solomon when he says that there is nothing new under the sun. But tonight, let us remember that there was a time where there was not even a sun at all. There was nothing but emptiness and chaos. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, as Moses puts it in Genesis. But then God made a brand new world. (laughs) Isaiah reminds us that it is God who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it. It was God who called the world into being by his word, forming the universe with his own hands, forming us out of the dust. And so as we stand on the cusp of this new year, let us remember that we have a God who, from the very beginning, has been making all things new. And that is cause for celebration. I think part of the reason I've never been personally excited about New Year's is that I've tended to think of it as simply the the passing of time, which I mistakenly considered to be some arbitrary invention of man. Nothing was really new about the New Year as far as I was concerned. It was just another date, another number on the calendar, another time like any other. And in some ways, I suppose I was right about that. But I think what I was failing to realize is that time is not a construct either created or controlled by us human beings. Rather, time belongs to God, for he made it. In the beginning, God created the beginning. And if that is true, God created time. Time is both created by God and then given by him to us as a gift. A gift that he has entrusted us to use for his honor and praise and glory. But we have not always used our time wisely, even from the beginning. Adam and Eve walking about in in God's good creation while it still must have had that new car smell lost everything 
when they rebelled against God and his good gifts and they and the rest of creation became captives to sin and death. Suddenly and abruptly a perfect and eternal relationship with God was revoked. Our first parents had allowed eternity to be wrecked and broken. And how often have we done this as well? How often have we allowed the ever-flowing and ever-fresh love of God to become old hat to us? How often have we tired of, of reading his word, calling upon his name in prayer and praise, forgiving his people of their wrongs against us? We too have been a people of sinful thoughts, words, and deeds, a people of crusty, old, and dying hearts. Isaiah was a prophet in the midst of a people of unclean lips and sinful hearts, a people just like us. But God gave Isaiah a message for those people and for us, and here's what he said. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. We have been hearing a lot from Isaiah these past several weeks throughout Advent and now the the Christmas season because Isaiah so beautifully and in so many ways points us to the very one who has brought about these new things of God. That little brand new infant boy who was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. That Bethlehem-born Savior foretold by Isaiah has brought about for us and for the whole world a new freedom from our bondage to decay. God who created all things brand new with his word when he spoke the universe into being has recreated all things brand new with his word who became flesh for our sake. Jesus became flesh in order to die and in doing so to recreate us. There's a very moving scene. Well, there are very many moving scenes in this movie, but, but particularly one in the Passion of the Christ where Jesus is carrying his cross up to Golgotha and, and suddenly he stumbles and he falls. And his mother who's watching this flashes back to the times when he as a child would be running and would stumble and fall. So she starts to run to him to, to help him in some way to offer him some sort of support. And as she gets there, he, he begins to get up and put the cross back on his shoulders and he looks into Mary's eyes and he says, Behold, mother, I am making all things new. Jesus carried that cross up that hill and he died on it to make you brand new. He carried your sins on his back and he took them with him when he was wrapped in burial clothes and laid in a, in a tomb. <laughs> And when he got up three days later and walked out, the sins of your old self were left behind where they belonged because they are now dead and gone. You are not who you were before. Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a familiar passage. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love that translation in, in the ESV. I, I grew up with the NIV that says, uh, Behold, the old, the old is gone, the new has come. But the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When Jesus rose from the dead, he did something new, something no one else had ever done before. And through our baptism, Jesus invites us to share in his new and eternal life. As the vicar had shared in his sermon this past weekend from Romans 6, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk about in newness of life. This is why Martin Luther writes in his small catechism that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. As Christians, we are God's new creations. This has an impact on how we live. This has an impact on how we remember and reflect on the past. This has an impact on how we welcome and embrace a new year of God's grace tonight. God has restored to us his good gift of eternity. God has restored to us his good gift of time. And so we use that time for his honor and praise and glory. We spend our lives for him because we are a people washed by the waters of baptism and fed by the body and blood of our Savior given to us once again tonight. This glorious New Testament in his blood, which is shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And so are we. As we look ahead into the new year, we look just a little bit further as well, or maybe not much further than that at all, to that new and eternal age spoken of by John in Revelation when God will once more stretch out the heavens and spread out the earth when he fully and finally recreates them. There we will live forever. New creations given new bodies living in a new heaven and a new earth. Citizens of the new Jerusalem for all eternity. Jesus inaugurated this kingdom at his first coming, and he will consummate it at his second coming. He has warned us again tonight to be ready for his return, dressed for action. And we do that every day by living and breathing the message of our new life through Christ. As N.T. Wright has recently written, the good news about what has happened points to the good news about what is to happen. And those who find themselves grasped by this double good news also find that their lives between the one and the other are utterly transformed as a result. May our celebration tonight be but a foretaste of the grand celebration that will take place among the restored and newly recreated people of God for all eternity. No matter what 2014 may have brought, 
bane or blessing, pain or pleasure. And no matter what 2015 may bring, hear this. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He is talking about all of creation. He's talking about this new year. And he is talking about you and me. And so may you go forth from here tonight in joy and walk in that newness of life that is yours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In his name, amen.